This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. I love it when we talk to, I'm going to use the word young entrepreneurs only because I've got a little business years on myself, but not even 30, having started already three companies. And she's going to talk about the one that she is building and growing right now. Today, we are heading over to India and we are speaking with Shreya Saxer. So Shreya, welcome to the program. I'm, I'm just delighted to speak with you today. Thank you so much for having me, Alison. I know you've done so much work for gender equality, and it's just amazing to be part of this conversation. To everyone listening, thank you for taking the time. My name is Shreya. I run a company called Lamha that helps people come together and save memories in one place. So if you have a baby at home, for example, all family members can come together and create an album for the baby that you can give to them when they turn 18. It's an app that's meant to be for the social good and for mental well, and it sounds so simple when you say it, and I know the company is multidimensional and we're going to talk about it in a big way. So um, it's uh, Luma, the memory jar company, and let's let's go through and share with our listeners um, the, the types of memories, because what I love about this is, and we're going to talk about the difference between a community model business and an exchange model business a little bit later. But when you go to the website and, and you you find out more about this app that you download, it really is centered around human connections and human health and making people happy. So tell us a little bit more about memory jars and, and the psychology behind it. Sure. So I think going into the origin story for how we came up with this could be of interest. I grew up writing novels. My entire background was in writing. My first book came out when I was 15, to put that in perspective. So while I was writing books, I had a deal with my publisher that for every fiction book we write that becomes a bestseller, we'll do a nonfiction book as well. And so I spent one summer during college writing a nonfiction book about terminally ill children who were growing up in India. And the idea was that whatever money comes from this book would go towards their treatment because a lot of these children were in villages way below the poverty line. I never thought this would be a business. I never thought this would be anything beyond just the book it was meant to be. So I ended up spending a lot of time living with these kids and the publishing cycle back then, I know I'm dating myself. I won't sound as young, but the publishing cycle back then was not just clicking a button on Amazon. It was, you know, wait in the pipeline at a publisher and get things done from there. So the book took a long time to come out. And unfortunately, what ended up happening was a lot of the kids passed away. 
So I was left oh. with all of these stories of these kids and drawings they'd made and photos. And I just, I wanted to do something for the families. And I'm not a doctor. I probably never will be. So I wanted to see what I could do with that. I went home and my grandma, as most Indian grandmas, had these glass jars in her kitchen filled with all sorts of interesting food. I threw out the food, which I still get blamed for to this day. <laughs> I threw out the food and filled it with all of these stories I had about the kids and labeled it with the kid's name and sent it to the families. So this was how the memory jar concept really got created. And I never thought much of it. You know, to me, it became from a book to a concept, but that's pretty much what it was. I went back to college and people started really liking this concept of memory jars. So I did it as a hobby for soldiers. I was briefly at the United Nations General Assembly Hall where we made some for a lot of different people. And again, it wasn't meant to be a business until, as you know, deadlines are the mother of all inventions. So at college, for my psychology degree, I had a deadline for my dissertation. And I could work on anything I wanted. There was a lot of news coming out then about how people feel about themselves and how technology makes people feel worse, especially social media and teams. So I wanted to create an experience that would make people happy. And again, the idea was make an experience because this problem exists in the world, not necessarily make something that's going to be a unicorn someday, you know. So I didn't even speak to people about it, which in retrospect, I should have always talked to your users. <laughs> but I didn't even speak to people about it. I was a college kid sitting in a dorm room trying to come up with something that would make people happy. And I tried lots of things. I had a platform where people called their parents, even the parents hated that. I had an exercise platform, nobody did that. And then I thought that, you know, this memory jar idea that we have, it brings people brief amounts of joy. And we've only dealt with people having grief, but maybe if we adapt this idea for normal people, whatever that means, maybe they'll benefit from it too. So that's how we sort of adapted the experience and found through my research, which I can get more into if you want, but the research showed that even five minutes making these memory jars and then coming back to them, led to all kinds of mental health benefits. It made people happier, it reduced loneliness, improved all kinds of psychological well-being. I still didn't think this would be a company because I had a job after college at Goldman Sachs. I was sad. That's what I was going to do. Yeah, I just, I, I wanted to, yeah, we're, we're going to comment. I mean, for our listeners, she, she graduated from Princeton and had a job at Golden, Goldman Sachs um, in the U.S. And you are back in, in India. I know you're traveling the world, um, but yeah, to, to say that you walked away from that to start this company is a, a pretty big step. Yeah, it wasn't easy. I actually worked at Goldman for 13, 14 hours a day and worked at Laha every night after. So that's how the company actually started. I used my salary to fund it which again, do not recommend working a Wall Street job with a second job. <laughs> it didn't end well. Um, it obviously ended up in me having to make a choice because I ended up falling really sick from that. But I had amazing support from the people I knew at Goldman. And they said, you know, you have this idea, go out and try it. If it works, amazing. If it doesn't work, come back. And so I really had nothing to lose at that point. And of course, went out, tried Lamha, and since then it's grown into all kinds of memories, as you pointed out. But yeah, it very much has a psychology basis, very much started off as an idea for a book and sort of ended up being this company. Well, that's a beautiful story, I, I think. The fact that it's, it's anchored in such an honest and authentic place because we live in a world where you can say, oh, there's this app and this app does this, and it sounds very lighthearted. But again, I had said 
for our listeners, we're going to encourage you to go look at it at the end. Don't take it lightly because there's a big business model behind it. And that's what we want to talk about is we want to talk about um, the business because this particular app um, is, if I have my information right, it is ranking in Apple's top 50 social apps in 90 countries. You know that you've had downloads in 190 countries and it is for everybody. And this is where I think if you could do for our listeners, educate them a little bit on a community model versus an exchange model of a business, because I know you wanted this to first and foremost be a community model business. Agreed. Um, yes, you have your stats right. <laughs> but going into the business model. So Lama from the start has been very community driven. One of the things we've always emphasized is your life isn't necessarily your own. You're also someone's child and, you know, someone's friend, things like that. So that's why Lama's memory jars in themselves started off as multiple people posting together. So when we thought about how we want to monetize this, we obviously have organizations who pay for subscriptions, but how to monetize the personal side, right? We sat down and thought about our users, had conversations with them this time. And one thing we realized is that the amount of value that people get from Lama exists, but the amount that they can pay for that value varies very widely. Because if you have users from 190 countries, you're thinking about the Upper East Side in New York, but you're also thinking about a rural village in India where people don't even have proper data. So when we were thinking about how we really want to monetize the personal side of this, we had two real options. One was something that's exchange driven, which is really how most business models today are. The company mm-hmm. says, we're going to give you X, Y, Z, and in exchange, you're going to give us this much money. So it could be for an ad-free experience, or it could be for some premium features, but effectively it's an exchange model. And when I was thinking about this, I really thought that you know, before exchanges even existed, communities existed. As human beings, we're very much a social place and we started off as communities and that's why we've all survived. So what if instead of having a sort of exchange-based business model, we move to a community-based business model, which is pay if you can. Not pay what you can, like most charities do, but just pay if you can. You know, if you think that Lamha is adding value to your life and you want to support our mission of bringing people happiness... There's a button in the app. You click on it. There are multiple ways you can support Lama. You could make a gift. It's not a charity, so it's a gift to a for-profit organization. You could make a gift or you could tell our employees something nice about how one of them helped you. Or you could even share Lama with someone who might need it. There are multiple ways to support Lama that help ultimately grow the top and bottom line. But the idea is, you know, we've been providing value to you, hopefully, for a long time. And if you're appreciative of that value and you can give something you do, and that's how the community works. I'm not telling you X, Y, Z things you're getting for this money. You're not putting conditions on the money you're giving. You're giving it because you feel a part of this family across multiple countries. And, you know, you want to appreciate it. Well, all the people who are worried about monetization are cringing when they hear you explain that. But I, again, we talked about this being having multiple, multiple tiers. And I know that in addition to an individual wanting to participate this and and build their memory jars. And again, I, we're going to encourage our listeners to go take a look because I'm going to go and take a look at this because my daughter has had uh, two best friends since very, very early in elementary school. 
And we realized that as the three moms, we all have a bunch of individual photos of all mm-hmm. of these girls, but now they're at getting towards the end of high school. And I'm like, oh my goodness, we need a place to have them all come together. And that's exactly what your platform can do for us is we can create a memory jar for these three girls that are best friends and everybody can contribute and then they can have it. Um, and then, so, so let's take this a step further. Also part of your platform, and it is a way that you make money is that you do have products that people can order and, and some of them are different. Some of them aren't what I have traditionally seen before. And clearly we're, we're paying for these in India, but you were sharing with me, um, that you ship, you've so far shipped to over 150 countries. So this shouldn't be a, a business. If our listeners are like, oh, well, I'm in the U S or I'm in the UK or I'm in these other places. It shouldn't be a barrier to say, no, this is something you can, um, jump into. But also I see on your platform that you, um, are encouraging organizations to start using it, starting with, is it schools that you're, you're targeting first? Tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit more about some of that. Sure. So I think taking a bird's eye view of how we think about money, right? Because it is a business. The way I think about money is you have to hit certain stages. So there's a certain amount of money you need to be a sustainable organization. And for us, the money that makes us a sustainable organization, those are the subscriptions we get from schools and companies and the idea there is every student gets a memory jar where they document all their school memories from day one until graduation and then those school memories stay with them forever it's the same idea for the business that we help employees document their personal journeys through work and interact with each other but the idea is to stay sustainable you have the businesses and the schools that pay subscriptions and so if we didn't do any of the other things, we would be totally fine and self-sustaining, profitable organization. So that's the first piece. The second piece, when I think about monetization, is the money you need to thrive. Right. So one is survive, which is the sustainable piece. The second is thrive. And when we were thinking of thriving, for us, it was obviously important for people around us to be thriving as well. And so we had a lot of really, really amazing artists around us in India using Indian handicrafts to make really special things. And we know that people love handmade things. We know that people like personalized things. And so we came up with the idea of memories don't only exist in the app. Maybe you want to get your memories beyond the screen. And so use a really interesting Indian handicraft to actually get your memories out of the screen. So we had an artist, for example, who uses cow dung and recycled t-shirts to make frames with your memories in them. We've got other artists, an entire village actually, that uses brass to make your family tree out of solid brass for you to put on your wall. So you get the traditional t-shirts and mugs and things like that. But what's really interesting to me about Lamha's products are the Indian handicraft pieces that you then get personalized. Obviously, it helps the business thrive, but also the artists who get paid to do these orders. We're preserving their handicraft also, and that's where their livelihood comes from. So we're not giving them a handout. We're giving them a hand to showcase the world, to the world what they're doing. So survival comes from organizations. Thriving comes from all these products we do. And then the third piece of the business is, you know, you're surviving, you're thriving. It's really how you can go beyond how you can be bigger than just a business, how you go and be a community. 
And we've discussed the community-driven business before, but I think one thing that's important in community and is often overlooked is there has to be a degree of reciprocity. Community doesn't work if only one side is continuously providing value and mm-hmm. the other side is continuously taking. So one thing we've seen with a lot of our users is Lama is an important part of their lives. Like we have people who add memories every day. We've got people who add memories every week and they sort of want to give back because at the end of the day, giving back also makes you feel good about yourself. So we've had all of these requests of how do we give back to your community? How do we participate more? And that's where this whole pay if you want idea came from less about we need this money to survive and thrive and more about how if it truly is a community our users thankfully want to give back to us as well here are some ways they could give back in meaningful ways to us and hopefully we'll continue to give it back to them in meaningful ways and you know the whole thing continues but it really is about going beyond a business and becoming a way of life that people feel proud of supporting and being a community that people are proud of being part that is um Really fabulous. I, I love, and that's a great example of the difference of an exchange model and a, and a community model, as as well as how to, like you said, be a, be a social good company and, and leveraging also for the employees and the workers that you're bringing in to fulfill these orders. And that's why I said to our audience, it's, it's you need to take a look at the types of products you can get and not think about the shipping barriers because it is different than what you're going to see. I want to jump and talk about leadership and about being a CEO and a, and a business builder. I want to touch base on the fact that um, you, you came and went to Princeton. And as you shared, you got your um, major in psychology, but you also have in there finance and entrepreneurship. And so- <laughs> What are some of the things that Princeton is telling us and training us to be entrepreneurs? Any, anything that if you reflect back on that uh, key training you had there that really stuck with you as you've embarked on these business journeys? I think the most important thing Princeton has taught me and the entrepreneurship program has really drilled into me is being in the service of humanity. That's Princeton's motto. And I think you really, really see it through the program where you're not only talking about, okay, what's my top line? You're also thinking about how does my product impact the environment? How does my product impact how people feel? How does my product impact organizations and social groups at large? So I think the biggest thing that Princeton's taught us is create whatever it is you want to create, but understand it's not in isolation really think about who all are being touched by this and think about how that's how you're experiencing the world. That's how you're affecting the world. Is that really the change you want to see? So that's a super important, super nebulous concept, but very much what it's based around. The second most important thing I learned from the Princeton Entrepreneurship Program was the idea of design thinking, where Mm -hmm. instead of you just imposing what you want on the world, you're really trying to understand from people what it is they need and build solutions accordingly. But to me, the most important thing was really understanding that nothing happens in isolation. Really think about the impact you have on humanity. Well, thank you for sharing that. So the business model today you have, um, I know you run, a. am going to guess, a lean company. Um, I know we, we, we chatted and said, well, where do you live? Where's your main home base? And you shared <laughs> you currently have that flexibility that you're going around where, as you're business building and, and can travel to different places. But 
what is the structure of your, your, your core team? Um, so your CEO, who are your key people that run the operation with you? So, so many people. We have my mom who runs all of the physical products. And if you haven't ever worked with your parent before, I highly <laughs> recommend it. You get to see a whole other side to it. Sometimes we're screaming our heads off. And sometimes at dinner tables, we're so excited about what's going on at work <laughs> that nobody else wants to eat with us. So <laughs> 10 on 10 would recommend. My mom runs the physical products and the operations. My tech team actually sits in a different part of India. And they've been remotely with us since I started the company at Princeton. And they continue to work remote. They're amazing. I should also say that everyone in my company is at least double my age. So I'm usually their kids' age, so I actually get along really well with them because I understand what their kids are going through and I give them all this perspective on life. But yeah, so we have a tech team based out in a different piece of India. We have my mom who runs operations. We have people who help us with schools and with sales. And then we have about 150 artists and contributors who help out with different pieces of Lama. But really, I think people on my core team are, we have about 500 users and they're a part of a Lamha core group on Lamha naturally. And we discuss a lot of the ideas we're having. They do a lot of voting. They make a lot of suggestions. And it's really that core group that drives everything. Like the most recent version of Lamha was designed by my grandma, who is a member of this core group. So she sat down with this core group and did it because Lamha wasn't very usable. For a lot of people, it was built uh-huh. very much Gen Z, millennial age group. And a lot of our core members are Gen Z, millennial. But we had five-year-olds in our core group. And we had people like my grandma and her friends in the core group who are Lamha's earliest users. They didn't understand the platform. They thought it was boring. They thought it was pointless. And so we had five-year-olds sit down with 75-year-olds and just redesign what the app should look like. I love that. Five-year-olds and 75-year-olds in, yeah. your, in your core advisor group. That is... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very interesting. Yeah. But there, so when you ask me about my core team, yes, there are some people who work at Lamha full time, but it really is all of these people that care so much about the product who then make their own groups and tell us what you're doing is stupid and this is how you should do it instead. And they're really the heroes of what exists. We have a hall of fame on Lamha's website um, for people who've been part of this core group and contributed different pieces of it. But it really is the 75 plus at the five minus in terms of age groups of people that I consider to be my core team. Like any decision I have to make before even our investors, they're the ones who hear about it because they give very clean, unfiltered advice. So we we shared that you had um, the opportunity uh, to found two other companies before this. And, and I always find that my founders, you know, you learn, you build and you learn as you go along. Um, so what advice do you have for other, um, entrepreneurs or, or people who want to start their own company, any kind of hard lessons learned that you now value or cherish that, or that made starting this company a little bit easier? Yeah. So the other two companies are still thriving and I continue to wish them well. Hopefully they'll continue to do amazing things, but I think the most important lesson for me from building these companies in general is product market fit is important and you will know when you have it because your product is flying out of your hands. But what might be more important than product market fit is founder market product fit. 
because sometimes you come up with ideas and you want to do this thing and that's all great but if you're not a fit for the product or for the market eventually you're going to want to drop out of it because when things are going well it's really easy to stick with it when you're getting your paycheck in your bank it's really easy not really easy but relatively easy yeah when you're getting your paycheck in your bank it's relatively easy when you've got customers saying nice things it's relatively easy but when you have to pull the seventh all night or in a row because there's one bug in your system or when your data gets breached and you have to explain to little kids about what happened or when you have to sit in a boardroom and lay off people these are the moments you don't really think about and so really think about your founder market product fit and think about all of these moments of what could happen when things go wrong and if you still think to yourself that even if all of those things happen to me i still want to do this only then do it because it's very easy to think about the good things and jump in but when you think about all the bad moments that happen and you still have this thing inside that this is something i've got to do then you have your founder product market fit and then you go for it thank you so much for sharing that we like to ask our guests If we came back and talked to you in two or three years, what's the vision? What's the vision either for yourself or what's your vision for the brand? I think my vision for myself is the same as the vision for the brand. That's the nice thing about getting to build what I want to do. Because you found that founder fit. (laughs) Exactly. So I care a lot about people having fulfilled lives. And from my research and just in general, I think life fulfillment comes from three main buckets. One is progress or purpose. You have to be either feeling like you're part of something or making progress in your day-to-day, right? So we, we want to have something where you're making progress towards something. It could be towards finishing a large French fries at McDonald's at one go, or it could be towards building a unicorn. Whatever it is you want to make progress towards, progress is important. So that's the first bucket. The second is relationships. And I don't only mean are you in a romantic relationship or are you happy with your family? I also mean the relationship you have with yourself. Are you happy with that? So number one, progress. Number two, relationships. And number three, experiences. If every day in your life you sat and looked at a wall with paint drying, you're going to be bored. You want to have some novelty in your experiences. You want to do new things. So I want to make sure my life is filled with a lot of progress and great relationships, new experiences. And to me, the foundation of all three of these things are your memories, right? Because you'll only be able to make progress if you have memories and you're able to add to them. Your relationships are effectively memories you've made together and you want to keep adding to that pool. And of course, your experiences are manifested and thought of and kept as memories. So to me, memories are the foundation of these two things. So I, of course, want to keep enjoying all three buckets of life. And I hope that Lamha becomes a facilitator that encourages progress and closeness in relationships and new experiences. Well, thank you so much for that. Hey, if people want to find out more, where should they go? What should they do? Just look up the word Lamha, L-U-M-H-A-A on Google, App Store, Play Store, wherever you want. And once you get to Lamha, there's a button to chat with me directly. I genuinely love hearing from people. I might not be able to get back the same day, but I try my best. So you're always welcome to start a chat with me from within the Lamha app. Well, thank you so much. And so for our listeners, we hope that you go and at least check it out. Again, it's L-U-M-A-H. Oh, I'm going to spell it wrong. L-U-M-H-A-A. And, um, and take a look at it and, uh, and show some love. And, and certainly know that if you go in and build a memory jar and you purchase some products, your, your money is really going a lot farther and really helping 
um, build local communities as, as well with these artisans who are, are doing interesting and unique things. Um, so, hey, put it on your list for, for gifts and holidays coming up. Shreya, we thank you for your business wisdom. Um, I We had a little conversation before we got started about um, ageism and knowing where to value um, people as what they bring to the table. I think you have packed a whole, whole lot in your, your wonderful um, career thus far. And again, um, I just really respect that you have this advisory board that also values all the views. And I think that is what all businesses need to do. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, to our listeners, if Shreya shared something that you think somebody else needs to hear, pass along a copy of this episode. As always, we love reviews on Podchaser. And as we always say, keep your eye on the future and always be disruptive. Shreya, thank you for being a guest. Thank you for having me. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>